Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Because of the goodness of God, we get to read his good word and experience his good grace. So I invite you, as we remain standing, to honor God's word. Our scripture today is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. This is Mark 10, 17 through 22. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray for your goodness and your word, Lord, that your truth and your grace would be with us today. Amen. When we were in seminary in Kentucky, I had this moment that will probably, one of those weird random moments that will probably stay with me for most of my life. And so I had gotten my lunch ready, I, had, um, I got my, my drink ready, and I was sitting and I was watching TV or on my computer or something, and uh, as I was not paying attention to what I was doing, I reached for my drink. Now, I fully thought I had poured myself a Pepsi. I had, in fact, poured myself a water. And so in my mind, as I pick up my cup to drink this wonderful, beautiful Pepsi, there was quite this big surprise in my heart when it ended up being water. And I've never like really thought that water was sour until I thought I was drinking a Pepsi and I really drank water. And I had this grand moment of disappointment, right? That, that, that here in this silly situation, I had this great disappointment that all I had was water. So I went and I poured myself a Pepsi and cheered up the rest of my day. Disappointment comes in many forms. Sometimes it's little, like a Pepsi or a water. Other times it's big, in which the life that we expected to live is not what we have. We lose somebody. Life doesn't always go the way we think it should or could. And there are some times in our life that we can be tempted to think, if only something was different, then everything else would be okay. If only I didn't get this diagnosis, then I would be okay. If only this person had done this instead of that, then everything would be okay. If only I had this job, if only I had this house, if only something, then everything else would be okay. 
But in fact, for a lot of us, we, we live with the reality that life isn't what we think it should be or what it could be, and that disappointment is a regular thing. Now, now one way to think about disappointment is that disappointment is the death of a dream. Now, it's this idea of, of something that we want, whether it be minor, all right, like what we are drinking, or whether it be something major, like losing somebody we loved or having a relationship be torn apart, there is the death of a dream that happens, of what life could be like, what life should be like. And what happens with death or with endings is that grief occurs. And so one way I like to think about it is that death bursts grief. And that so many of us, we experience grief Sometimes we realize it, lots of times we don't because something has ended that was important to us or something that we wanted or hoped for. And sometimes our hopes aren't even that founded, all right, but, but we can raise our level of expectation and even something that we never would have expected that dies is still painful because we were this close to it. I say this as an OSU fan. Because at the beginning of this football season, had you told me, oh, Aaron, the Oklahoma State Cowboys are going to make it to the Big 12 championship game, I would have been like, with this roster? But then they just kept winning. And all of a sudden, as they're playing Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, after beating OU, just, man, that wasn't in my notes. That must have been the Lord. Um... You know, there was a part of me that was like, Aaron, just be happy. But then the other part of me was like, if they win, then this can happen and this can happen. Of course, they came up just inches short, right? And this disappointment that exists, right? I didn't expect this to happen, but yet all of a sudden I expected it to happen. And there was this disappointment. And, And to me, there's always this gap, all right, that exists between what is and what should be or what could be or what might be. And the larger this gap is, the more that disappointment, the more the grief that we face. And so disappointment is such a regular thing. And, and as, we were, as, as I was meeting with the staff on Monday, I had a few different things that I could talk about this week. But disappointment was the one that rose to the surface. And in this scripture, we find a person who is disappointed after his encounter with Jesus. And so the line that stood out to me was, at this The man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. After Jesus told him to go sell everything he had and then come follow me, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. It could just as well say he was disappointed, and he grieved. And so what we see here in the story, and this is Mark's version. There's also a version in Matthew and in Luke. Um, we have the story of what is often referred to as the rich young ruler. And it's a very interesting story for a number of reasons. It starts out to me just fascinating because it said, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked a question. And so it's interesting that this person who has some sort of sway finds himself running and kneeling before Jesus. Something caused him to have an urgency to come meet Jesus, and he found and he humbled himself. And so he asked Jesus a question. Um, He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I have the life that God wants me to have? Now, Jesus responds, and it's kind of interesting because he says, why do you call me good? 
Only God is good. And I think one of the things that Jesus is doing here is that he is calling him to think about, are you really going to listen and trust what I tell you? Because what I'm going to tell you is good, whether it feels like it or not. Because what God wants for us is good for us. Do you really trust that? And the same question that he asked this man is the same question that he asked us. Is do you really trust that what Jesus says is good for you? Do you really trust that the path that Jesus has is good? We just saying, you are good, good, so good. But yet if Jesus was here and asked you to do something, you'd be like, well, that's not good for me, Jesus, so probably not. You're good, but what you ask of me also needs to be good. And then Jesus, in almost what seems to be a uh, standard way, just sort of runs through a list of commandments. He says, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. And I can almost imagine this person being like, check, 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 check. I've, I've completed the list of things of which I am good. And I can imagine this moment of just relief that filled him of like, okay, Jesus thinks things are good. And so he replies, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Teacher, I have done all of these things that you have asked of me. I am good, right? But that's not where the story ends. Instead, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He had compassion on him. His heart was for him, and he knew that there was something that was preventing him from the fullness of life, from the fullness of a relationship with God. And he was about to tell him the truth, which is a hard truth. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. For the man who had much and many possessions, he said, go and sell everything, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And at this, the, main, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And so he has this encounter with Jesus, and it leaves him disappointed. And I think that for a lot of us, we can find ourselves being driven to disappointment. That something can happen in our life, something can happen in our faith, something can happen in our world, and we are disappointed. Now, when I was thinking about why is it that I get disappointed, I think there's a few different reasons I get disappointed. Now, um, I'm going to use a word that's not found in our Bible, but that many Christians I found believe in, which is this idea of karma. Now, karma is when you get what you deserve. I know that y'all believe it, and I believe it, because I've said before, and you said before, well, they're going to get what's coming to them, right? That's karma. It was when you get what you deserve. It's this basic idea. It's not biblical, but it's this basic idea that if you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you'll get bad. That this is this idea. And sometimes this infiltrates how we live and how we think. And sometimes our disappointment is driven based on the notion of karma. I don't get what I think I deserve. And sometimes that is the nature of our disappointment, is when we don't get what we think we deserve. 
And, and, and sometimes I, I found this happens to me, but I really think there's kind of two different kinds of karmatic driven disappointment. And sometimes it's because our expectations are actually entitlements. That, that we think we deserve better. As I was thinking about it today, I thought about, have I ever thought, don't you know who I am? Have you ever thought, like, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't treat me like that? Or, or if you've ever thought, don't you know what I've done? There's an entitlement aspect in the midst of this. Entitlement's this idea that we deserve more than what we actually do. And, and, and I find that, that it's so easy for me to get caught up in this idea of being entitled, that I deserve something. When really, sometimes, a lot of times I don't. And, but I feel it here, and I'm disappointed because what I think people should do for me and what they actually do for me, there's this gap. All right? Now, um, as I was thinking about one of the things in which I feel really entitled to is that places would get my order right when I go and order them at a restaurant or at a drive-thru. I'm sure I'm the only person who has had the experience of ordering some food and then getting home and finding out it's not what I ordered. Now, what, what happens is, is that I feel like I'm entitled to the order being correct. How difficult is it to get my and my family's orders and our 22 modifications that we made to it <laughs> when it's your third day on the job and you're being trained by somebody who's been working there for two months to get it right. But yet, if only my order was right, then I'd have a good day. Right? Sometimes there's this entitlement that exists. But sometimes our, our karma-driven disappointment sometimes occurs because our world and ourselves are broken. Is this world is not what it should be or could be. There's tragedy after tragedy that exists in this world. And that sometimes we're driven because things that happen to us are just not fair. I remember as a kid and I was, I was the quiet one at the lunch table. Other people weren't. But our whole lunch table got in trouble. And I thought, this isn't fair. I didn't deserve this. And you know what? I was right. But there's been other times. I've been doing stuff. And other people got in trouble for it, right? Life isn't always fair. Sometimes it's like we, we, we feel disappointed because we shouldn't be sick. We've taken care of our body. It's not fair that we're the sick ones and other people get to live. It's not, not fair that this happened to my family. It's not fair that I'm being treated like this. And really, we live in a world of brokenness. And it's just the way it is. And so part of what we have to understand is that the idealized place and the actuality place is different, is that, is that we live in a fallen and broken world, and it's going to be fallen and broken. So what that means is that sometimes the person who's working at my drive through place is not going to always get it right. But that also means, like, I don't always get it right, and I don't always have to get it right. Now, I have a, a friend who I meet with weekly, and, and every once in a while, he'll, he'll point out to me that I've used the word should too often. 
And he says, Aaron, remember the tyranny of the shoulds. Now, there are some of you who live under the tyranny of the shoulds for you, for others, and for everybody else. Have you ever been around a person who says, well, you know, you should have done that? You should have done this? You know, if you only had asked me, I would have told you what you should have done. And there are some of you who you are that person and that you should all over yourself. You think about, some of y'all, that's the only thing you're going to remember. I know it, but that's all right. You, and you think about, I didn't say that one at the early service because I thought I'm going to get more trouble at the early service than the late service. So, so here, the, we, we, at the end of the day, we thought, oh, I should have known better. I, uh, so the other day, I was, um, I was parenting, and I was doing really good, y'all. Really good. I was calm. I was patient. I was taking it, not from Micah. The other one. <laughs> and I was like really proud of myself for a while. Have you ever been there as a parent? And you're like, yes, I'm doing it. I'm not losing it. But then the buttons keep getting pressed. And all of a sudden I lose it. And, and I get loud. And, and when I get loud, I'm louder than I think I am. Anybody else like that? You don't realize how loud you get? And, um, and, 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 and it's easy for me to, to think I should be better. I shouldn't lose my cool. I shouldn't get upset. I shouldn't be loud. I shouldn't do things. I should know better. I'm the pastor. I should do all these things. And, and, and I live in this weird tension of I'm allowed to be both human and growing. That, that I, I want to be a better father and husband who doesn't lose my cool, who doesn't get angry the way that I do. I want that, but I also need to be able to give myself enough grace to realize that I don't have to live under the tyranny of the shoulds, that I can be human and I'm supposed to be exactly human-sized. And there are some of us who are disappointed because you know what you can do, but you miss that mark and that gap of should is really hard for you to overcome. Again, for me, often I find this at the golf course because I know I can hit a shot once out of 50 times. But for some reason, I think I should be able to land it on the green. And this disappointment just drives us crazy. What is it in this gap? And so sometimes we experience this tyranny of the shoulds. And we experience it with others. We experience it with ourselves. And it overwhelms us between what could be or what should be and what is. And we have to be a place in which grace is allowed for all of us. And that Jesus meets us where we are. And that he looks at us and he has compassion. His heart moves towards us. And he calls us not to a life that we should lead, but to a life that he wants us to lead. And in fact, sometimes our disappointment is because we've experienced grace that's more than we can ever imagine. Sometimes our disappointment is what I would call grace-driven disappointment, where we receive more than we imagine. And as I was thinking about this story, initially I chose this story because here was a person whose encounter with Jesus left him disappointed. But the truth is, he was disappointed long before he came to Jesus. In fact, if we were to ask this rich young ruler, why are you disappointed today? 
where are you disappointed today? His answer, I think, would surprise us. Because what we know about him is that he has some of those if-onlys that you and I would like. Again, we call him the rich, young ruler. And there are sometimes we think, if only I was rich, if only I had more money, then I'd be happy. And so by that account, the rich young ruler who had many possessions should have been happy. He should have had the good life, but he didn't have it. He was young. He had his health. He was able to run. He was able to kneel. There are some of you who are out working who realize that your ability to run or kneel is compromised now, right? He had his health. If only I was healthy, then I would be happy. He was a ruler. He was a person of authority. If only I had power then I would live the good life. If only people did what I said and did it my way, then I'd be happy. But you find out that this rich, young ruler was disappointed before he met Jesus, and that's why he ran to Jesus. And not only was he rich and young and ruler, but he had done everything right. If only I follow all the commandments. Then I will inherit eternal life. Then I'll have the life that God wants to him. If anybody should have been happy, it should have been the rich young ruler. But he knew there was something more. And his, was disappointed with life. And so he runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me because the life I'm le- leading, which everybody else wants, is not the right life for me. So he was disappointed. Now I think that there are probably all of us who walked in this room and who's experienced disappointment. In fact, for some of you, the disappointment you feel is strong. The disappointment you feel is real. And there is something that you think, if only this, then everything else would be okay. And, and I want to just sort of share a little story of, of our life, of, of, of a time of disappointment. And, and one of the reasons I feel compelled to do it is because we're in a church. And, and one of the things that happens in a church is that sometimes we have shoulds with church. That, that we think that the church should be better. Um, and, and that there are some of you who might be disappointed with the church, you might be disappointed with the pastor, you might be disappointed with, uh, with something that has happened, and I think it's important for us to address the disappointment that sometimes we have with church. And so when Heather and I were newly married in our young 20s, we worked at a church in Norman. There were some wonderful things that happened there, some wonderful people that we met there, but there was also um, this grand disappointment we had in people who should have known better. And so there was this big church conflict situation. If you have five hours, I'll explain it to you. Have you ever been in one of those situations where it's like, it's just so entangled and like there's all this emotion and there's this lack of clarity and you're like, who said what, huh? Where did that come from? Oh, they're upset too? So there's all this entanglement that happens in the church. And, and, and in fact, I just started calling it the situation. It made it easier when I was talking with my parents. This was before the Jersey Shore and somebody took that name. But I just called it the situation because it was so complex and it was so frustrating and it was so hurtful because I grew up in the church and the church had been good to me. The church was a place where I found life. It was a place in which I had found purpose, a place I had found community. 
It was a place in which I was devoting my life to become a pastor. And so for the church, for those people to act in the way that they did was just so harmful to me, so harmful to Heather. And so after, these, after this months and months, it finally reached ahead. And, and so the, the district superintendent came, and, and there was a, it got so bad that we had to pray about it, y'all. That's how bad it got in the church. So there was this meeting that, that some of us had in one room, and there was people who were praying in the sanctuary. And, and I, I don't remember what all was said in that meeting where we all, where we gathered, but I remembered that we had a cross. And if, if it was your turn to talk, only the person with the cross could talk. And the cross was passed around in a circle, and everybody got their turn to talk. But you, once the cross, once you, you know, passed the cross on, you didn't get to talk anymore. That was hard for me because I wanted to refute everybody. That ain't true, right? Liar, I, you know. I didn't have a piece of paper to write down all the things that people said I disagreed with. So we, we pass this cross around. Everybody says their pieces or passes and all that kind of stuff. And then we go to the congregational church meeting. Y'all, like, if you want to see Christians at their worst... Go to a church softball game or a congregational church meeting because I don't know if you know this, but people are in the church and people sometimes are terrible to each other. Now, one of the things I've realized that exists with people's disappointment in the church is that we look at Jesus and we think the church should be like Jesus. That the church should be forgiving, it should be gracious, it should be loving, it should welcome people, it should challenge people, but only in the right way and in the particular way. And we think the church should look a lot like Jesus. The problem is, is that the church looks a lot more like Peter than it does like Jesus. Because Peter has his moments of incredible faith. He says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. He walks on water. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He is a leader of the church. He says uh, in Acts, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, get up. And somebody gets up. He is able to heal people. There are incredible moments that Peter has. But Peter also has some dismal moments. Right after he says, you're the Messiah, he says some other stuff. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He walks on water, but he also falls through the water. And in the moment in which Jesus needed him most, he denied him, denied him, and denied him. Unfortunately, the church looks more like Peter than it does like Jesus. And so what I experienced, and what we experienced in this congregational meeting, things were okay for a little bit. Christians put on their best behavior for sometimes in a little bit. But then, and I... You know, I won't ever forget this. There was a gentleman who was sitting over here, and a gentleman who was sitting over here, and something was said, and the gentleman who was sitting up over here got out of his pew and walked back towards the gentleman who was sitting over there, and they both stood up, and all of us were like, now, fast forward 22 years, is he going to go Will Smith on him and slap him like Chris? <laughs> I mean, that's what I was wondering. Is he going to just pow? You know, like, what's going to happen? And it just broke my heart. Right, Because I was so disappointed in so much of what happened because I knew the church should be and could be better. And it was hard. 
And you've probably been in a situation in which people should have or could have been better. Maybe it happened in the church. And here's what I want to say to you. On behalf of the church that disappointed you, on behalf of the pastor who disappointed you, I'm sorry. This isn't the the world. I wish the church was better. I hope that we can be better. I hope that we can be humans, but we can also be godly. And I'm sorry for the pain that church has caused you because people have let you down. But God is not going to let you down. And he's going to meet you where you are, and he's going to walk with you as we deal with disappointment. So how do you deal with disappointment? Um, I, I, I think just for us, as we, as we sort of walk through it quickly, is the first thing is that we have to name it. We have to name what it is and who it is that we're disappointed in. We can't just live this life. I'm like, I ain't disappointed. No, no, no. There are times where we just have to name it, and we have to say, I'm disappointed in X because I expected Y. I'm disappointed in this because of that. We have to name it. We can't just leave it out there. We need to be specific and we need to name it. And then we also need to define what kind of disappointment it is. All right? Is it an entitlement disappointment? Is it a human or because the world has fallen, it's not supposed to be this way? You're right. This is so sad and tragic and we're just going to grieve together. We need to define it. Or is God doing something in our midst? Is he going to teach us something? And the third thing is, is that we have to face it. The only way to heal it is to feel it. And you have to move through it and you have to face it. You can't just avoid it. And so often I think one reason why the, the church is a place of ugliness is because we've let our wounds fester. And we've let them fester and we've let them fester. And then they explode because of our expectations and our hopes. So what do we do with it? If it's entitlement, if the disappointment is because I feel entitled, then your call is to repent to Jesus. It's to say, Lord, I feel this way. I think I'm supposed to deserve more than I actually do deserve. I feel this sense. Lord, I want to give it to you. I don't want to have those thoughts. I don't want to have those actions. If it's human, if it's because this world is a broken and fallen place, then our response is to grieve with Jesus. Because when we have hope, that it's not always going to be this way, but that there is a new heaven and a new earth. There are, is a new body without pain, and there is a place without relationships and strife going back and forth. And so we grieve with Jesus that this world isn't as it could be or should be. But if it's his grace, if it's like this rich young ruler who God gave him an incredible gift, Jesus looked at him and had compassion with him and said, if you really want the life that matters most, then this is what you need to do. You need to no longer let your possessions possess you. You have to surrender everything to Jesus and say, come follow me. And so sometimes our disappointments exist because we're holding on to things that Jesus is saying, letting go, and he's calling us to more, and that's a grief because we have to lose something that's important to us. But anything is worth losing if it means to gain Jesus. Now, one of the things, and sometimes we're really slow learning our lessons, And so it was, as I reflect back on what happened, what was probably 15, 16 years ago in this church conflict situation, I believe Jesus gave me a gift that I only opened up like yesterday. Isn't that weird that that sometimes there's events that happen in life and and, and what I believe is, is that when we take enough time to step back and look back, then we see the gift that God gave to us in the midst of the disappointment. 
is that Jesus gives us a gift, and he's like, you'll open this when you're ready. And so the gift that Jesus gave me in this church conflict situation 15, 16 years ago was, Aaron, don't put your hope in the church. Put your hope in me. These people, us, we're going to let each other down. You're going to be disappointed in committees and in pastors and in people who should know better. But I will never disappoint you. And so you will have trouble in this world and in this church. You will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Those are the words of Jesus. And so if you are experiencing disappointment, it should be a driver towards Jesus. This world, I am not who I'm supposed to be. This world is not who it's supposed to be. We have let one another down. But he will never let you down. And so when you're disappointed, give me Jesus. I want to share these words from Romans because they're so powerful to me. And I hope that they just sit with you. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. The words are going to be on the screen. But let's just sort of take these words in. Because in our disappointment, we can see the grace of Jesus. Because of our faith... Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. We believe that no trial, no temptation, No disappointment goes wasted because they drive us to endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And sometimes I know what you think. is like, I don't want strength of character. I want ease of life. But they develop strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And the confident hope of salvation is that the disappointment of this world is not because God does not love us. But because this world has fallen, and in the midst of it, God has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. The hope in Jesus will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. So you all, we will disappoint one another. Your parents will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. Your people in Sunday school will disappoint you. Your pastor will disappoint you. Your church will disappoint you, but Jesus will never disappoint you. In this life, you will have trouble. You'll have disappointments. You'll have pain and you'll have suffering, but take heart. For Jesus has overcome the world. And he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so whatever you go through and the disappointment you experience, may we come on the other side and receive his goodness and his grace. And may that be enough. That our hope isn't in anything but Jesus. And so when I'm disappointed, give me Jesus.
Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.